Okay, thank you, Maggie and Ashley. What a great day. Um, new members and baptisms. Um, thank you so much for being here. And whether you're here in person or online, I have a question for you, and it is this. What is the most well-known song in the world? Well, some gave answers like this. Certainly, it had to be a Beatles song, maybe Yesterday or Hey Jude or I Want to Hold Your Hand. Others answered U2's One or Springsteen's Born to Run. Um, some from a different generation and um, time said Judy Garland's Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Another, Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Waters. And then someone said, happy birthday to you. Well, um, we certainly understand that one. Let me change the question just a little bit. What about the most well-known and sung gospel song? Undoubtedly, it would be Amazing Grace, the most beloved hymn of the last two centuries, performed annually, they say, in the U.S. more than 10 million times. It has appeared in 11,000 albums, um, sung by hundreds of recording artists, um, from Elvis to Aretha to Garth Brooks, most recently. Amazing Grace, written by a former slave ship captain turned follower of Christ. John Newton penned the words, and he's telling us his own story. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. But John Newton was not the first one to say those words. There was a man born blind who was healed by Jesus in John 9, who said when questioned repeatedly, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. This is the last message in our Unseen New Chapter section of our Encounters with Jesus series. And it truly is the unseen. It is the blind man. And today, may Holy Spirit help us to see things more clearly in our own encounters with Jesus. We come now to the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. And if you're willing and able, please stand as we read God's Word. John 9, hear the Word of God. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it is not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. And then after a bunch of questioning, which we'll see in a minute, verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. 
He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, <clears throat> that though I was blind, now I see. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Please be seated. Let us pray together. <clears throat> Our Father, we ask this morning that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear from you for the glory of Jesus and for our good. Amen. This morning, I want us to see four things. The miracle, the questions which abound around the miracle, the greater miracle, and then the miracle that you have to share. First, the miracle. In understanding the context of this miracle, there are a number of things for us to see. We know from the previous chapters in John that this was during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a week-long festival, a celebration that the Israelites had each year, celebrating their 40-year journey in the wilderness and their delivery by God from the Egyptians. It is also called the Feast of Booths, as they built temporary shelters, remembering the camping out, if you would, in the wilderness every night. And during this festival, they had those people who would light torches all around the walls of the temple to demonstrate that the Messiah to come was indeed to be the light of the world. And with these torches visible from the highest part of the city walls, do you remember what Jesus said in John 8? It was, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And also during this feast, the priest would take water from the pool of Siloam to the temple. They would pour it into the silver basin beside the altar. And this water signified cleansing. And Jesus is going to use water from this same pool in the miracle today. And remember what Jesus said in John 7, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And with both the light on the walls and the water from the pool, there is a foreshadowing of what is about to happen in John 9 with the healing of this blind man. We are told that Jesus, as he passed by, saw a man that was blind from birth. Verse 2 records a question which the disciples have for Jesus. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, this is the same question that people all over the world have when there is some type of tragedy or calamity. The heart and the mind quickly go to, is this because I've done something wrong? Have I sinned? Or in the case of this man, did he or his parents sin? Over the years, I've been asked many times by friends facing some type of difficulty or perhaps a health issue. Did this happen because of my past sin? I've gone there in my own mind at different times in my life. Now, there certainly are tough consequences that we face when we sin. But usually those are the natural consequences of the outworking of wrong choices um, and the fact that we live in a broken, utterly fallen world. 
But look how Jesus nips that question in the bud. As he says in verse three, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The disciples, they regarded this man as an unsolved puzzle. They showed absolutely no interest in helping the man. Not so with Jesus. He is not drawn into this theological enigma. Jesus is intent on helping the man in meeting his need. And we would do well not to dwell on from where suffering has come, but rather ask what should our response be to the suffering that we see. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, it is ours not to speculate, but to perform acts of mercy and love according to the tenor of the gospel. Let us then be less inquisitive and more practical, less for cracking doctrinal nuts and more for bringing forth the bread of life to the starving multitudes. And the man who had lived in the dark is about to experience light. The works of God, which Jesus spoke of in verse three, are about to be displayed in this man born blind. Verse six, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. It was within the power of Jesus to do something and he did. To this point, Spurgeon then applies it to us as he says, whenever you see a man in sorrow and trouble, the way to look at it is not to blame him and inquire how he came there, but to say, here is an opening for God's almighty love. Here is an occasion for the display of the grace and goodness of the Lord. If you and I see the need before us, we don't have to wait for someone else or for the church even to have a program to help. You and I can enter in and do the works of the one who sent Jesus. Don't develop some great plan for someone else to do. You can humbly and in dependence upon the Lord enter in and show the grace and the goodness of the Lord. In Pastor Tyler's 321 challenge, I want to encourage all of us to be willing to enter in and serve others in need. The point is that Jesus healed the man born blind. Hallelujah. But not all the people were happy about this. And the questions abound. So let's look at the questions. The disciples had already asked their question about who sinned. And now the neighbors who knew the man start asking questions. Verse eight, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He, the man kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, 
the man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Then the Pharisees have questions. Verse 15. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they again said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Well, unsatisfied with the answers, the Jews decide to question the parents of the man. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. The parents knew that if they told all that they knew, they would be put out of the synagogue. They would basically be cut off from all relationships they knew. So they pass it back to the son, the healed blind man, and say, he's of age, ask him. So the Pharisees, once again, question the man. And when you begin to understand this series of events, it's just about funny, except it's so very tragic. They all refuse to see Jesus for who he is. And I wonder if we sometimes do the same. Do we refuse to see Jesus for who he is? Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Talking about Jesus. He answered, whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. This man, he held his own with the religious leaders of the day. In their sarcasm, they say, give glory to God. We know this man, Jesus, he's a sinner. The healed man is not going to play their game. He says, I don't know if he is a sinner. And then he gives one of the most beautiful statements in all of scripture. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. Well, they keep questioning him. Verse 26, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Well, the man turns the questioning onto these religious leaders. He's saying, I've told you everything I know. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be disciples of Jesus? Well, you can imagine that that absolutely infuriated them. 
And we see their anger in verse 28. They reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know from where he comes. They try to one up the man by saying that they are the disciples of Moses and the heel man. He keeps at them. Verse 30, the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began, has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This man is absolutely brilliant in his reasoning. He's confident in his dialogue with the leaders of the day. And he is bold. A truly changed person is bold. I want to tell you about one of the boldest men I know. Orangewood for decades has been a partner with John and Kathy Rugg, missionaries to Chile. John is blind, and yet he has traveled Chile by bus, often alone, to bring encouragement to pastors and to plant new churches there. Many of you know that Rita and I were missionaries in Mexico for a number of years. Thus, our kids love for all things Latin, including two wives um, so far. Um, early in our career with young Joseph and baby Sarah Jane, we went to a retreat for missionaries in Ecuador. Baby Sarah Jane cried from Mexico to Quito, Ecuador on the longest flight in the history of aviation. <clears throat> well, we were expecting a beautiful retreat center in the mountains of Ecuador, and we got a rustic camp on the equator on the Pacific coast. It was hot, and we had come from hot Acapulco, and some of you know about the hot in Acapulco. It had very little electricity and running water. Um, they had never heard of ice there. Um, we were there with dozens of other missionaries, but the ones who had the greatest impact upon me were the rugs. I walked out of our room one day, and um, I was not in a good mood, to say the least. There outside was John Rugg, blind. He had just washed all of his family's clothing, and he was hanging the clothes on the clothesline to dry. And he was joyful. I mean, really joyful, sort of like the joyful that Mark shared last week of Julia in the leper colony. And then one day in a talk which we had um, in a meeting room, I kept hearing this click, 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 click. And I was going, what is that aggravating sound? And I turned around and there is John with his braille machine taking notes. And it didn't make me feel real good about myself and my own judgment, obviously. But um, at the end of the talk, he raised his hand and um, he said, Dr. Patterson, you said in um, your talk, and he gives this very long quote. Um, I had been trying to take notes and I didn't have one fourth of what John had recorded and then quoted back. 
The impact of John Rugg upon me was profound. This healed blind man in John 9 is brilliant in holding his own with the scholars of the day. And how do they respond? Verse 34, you, they say, were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. What the man's parents were fearful of for himself, their son now experiences. He is cast out of the synagogue and any relationships which he might have had. And in identifying with Jesus, the man lost much, but he gained everything. More happens here. Yes, the man had experienced a true miracle. His physical blindness was healed, but he experienced the greater miracle. Early church father Chrysostom said, the Jews cast this man out of the temple, but the Lord of the temple found him. Cast out, yes. Found by Jesus, yes. And now it's Jesus' turn to ask a question. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man asked his question in verse 36. And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. That is the greater miracle. The eyes of his heart were also opened. Last week, one leper out of the 10 came back, fell on his face before Jesus giving thanks. And now we see this blind man. He was healed physically, but we are told that when he experienced the changed heart upon believing in Jesus, he worshiped Jesus. I ask you the question that Jesus asked, do you believe in the son of man? You know, this is a question that sooner or later um, you and I must answer. Let me tell you about one other blind person who has answered that question in an amazing way. Some of you know the name of singer-songwriter Jenny Owens. Rita and I went to school with her parents, and so I follow a little of her music. She became blind at the age of three. And of Jenny, one writer says, In Love Be the Loudest, her ninth studio release, Jenny Owens throws off all expectations and with renewed faith inspires her fans to seek God's voice above all the others. Jenny is blind, but she has experienced the greater miracle and she boldly shares in song and in word. She said this, most people think my greatest life challenge is blindness. I've been blind since age three, but that simply isn't true. My greatest challenge is doing battle with the critical voices in my head that distract me from what's most important. It's the whispers of those who feel sorry for me because of my physical challenge and don't think I hear their comments. It's the shouts of my own doubts and insecurities asking, 
Do you have anything valuable to contribute to society? It's the mindless chatter of our culture inviting me to believe that any voice, as long as it's loud, is fine. Every song on this album is an invitation to my heart and the heart of the listener to allow God's perfect voice of love and truth to be irresistible to our hearts, drowning out all other voices and moving us to actions. She is sharing the greater miracle of a changed heart. And if you believe in the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, there is the miracle that you have to share. Some believe you have nothing to give to others who are struggling in our world. People have told me I often have openings with people, but I never know what to say. Or my life is so dull, no one would be interested. I don't know enough about the Bible to respond to people. And certainly in our lives, there are those times in which we need to bring the truth of God's word to people for it is alive and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. And there are also those times that we just need to share our lives and our encounter with the Lord. We need to share our greater miracle. Let me share something of my greater miracle. Many of you know, because I've told you that I never knew my biological father. What I haven't told you is that I don't even know why or when or how he left our family. I later had a stepdad who taught me much about honesty and hard work and he loved me, but there was a hole in my heart. And I never shared this part of my story with anyone until I was out of school and a pastor. I was with a teenager who was talking to me about not being able to spend time with his father who lived a very far distance away. I took the risk of opening up and sharing with him that I understood a little bit about what he was going through because I never knew my father, and that my life had been a journey, a journey of seeking to discover who God, my heavenly father was, my real father. And I shared my greater miracle and my story. And I was shocked at my sharing my story, my encounter with Abba father and what it did to this young man. It somehow spoke into his life and his story. He saw things differently, and it was a profound effect upon him. And now, as God opens doors, and as I share that story from time to time in different contexts, it seems like there is always someone um, with whom the story connects. All of this is to say that you have a most powerful tool to share with others, your own story your encounter with Jesus, your greater miracle. I was blind, but now I see. The healed man, all he had was his story. Few things are more powerful. Your story cannot be argued with. It's your story. It has the power to touch the nerves and stories of others. And God will use your story as complicated 
or as simple as it might be. You're saying, this is what my life was like. Jesus found me. I trusted him. And here is the change. It may be a story of great tragedy and how Jesus spoke into that. It may be a story of seemingly great blessing and how Jesus spoke into that. It may be a story with many insecurities and fears. And Jesus began to change those things. And it may may be a story of chasing all the wrong things and how Jesus gave new direction and led to a peace and a contentment that nothing else had given. It may be that you're going through the hardest time in your life right now and that you are in pain and simply the story might be that you are clinging to what you have. And that is one who promises to never leave you nor forsake you. Whatever your story, invite others into your life. It will change you and it will change others. There may be one person with whom you need to share what's going on in your head and your heart, and yet you're scared to do it. Move toward the fear. Invite that person into your story. Your story is your story, and yet it can be a blessing to others. Ask for wisdom in knowing what and when and how much to share, but just know that your story has real power. Well, Jesus finding us, our changed lives, a new heart of trust in the Lord is the greater miracle. Amazing grace. John Newton experienced the greater miracle. His story went from utter disgrace, the disgrace of being a slave trader, to being found by the grace of King Jesus. Did you know that before he died, John Newton experienced physical blindness? But John Newton could still sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. You can sing it too. Because Jesus changes everything. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the stories of others in which we can see ourselves so often. Thank you for finding us, for seeking us out. Thank you for the greatest encounter we could ever have, that of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the greater miracle. Give us grace and boldness to share it winsomely and wisely with others. Open our eyes, O Lord, more and more to the beauty of Jesus. We pray in his matchless name. Amen.